Okay, so welcome back to Friendship. So yesterday, quick review, we talked about relationships and what the Bible says, right? Like we said, our desire for relationships comes from being created in the image of a communal God in Genesis 1.26. We talked about what actually is friendship. We talked about kind of Tim Keller has this idea that it's two people going towards the same horizon or the same goal within a Christian friendship, right? Like that goal is that we are bringing about the kingdom of God and that we are together sanctifying each other and becoming more and more like Jesus. Um, C.S. Lewis thinks about friendship um, in the conversation of what you two. I thought I was the only one. Um, when we talked about the purpose of friendships, right? Like they're to bring about the kingdom of God. We talked about how do we get friendships, right? Like we look around for them. We see who we're already in community with. We pray for them. Um, then we actually get out there and do the work. Um, we looked at a few biblical examples of friendship. We looked at David and Jonathan, two people from opposite worlds, that their souls are knit together. Um, and how that's a sacrificial friendship because David ends up adopting Mephibosheth, which is Jonathan's crippled son. We looked at Ruth and Naomi, right? That's a very loyal friendship. Um, Ruth is the daughter-in-law and sticks with Ruth, sticks with Naomi after her son and after her husband has passed away. Um, and then we looked at the friends of the lame man who brought their friend to Jesus to be healed and were not discouraged by the crowds, but instead went to the roof and put a hole in it and brought their friend to Jesus. Um, and so that's like a very determined friendship, but also a friendship that um, understands who Jesus is and understands that, that was the only way their friend could be healed. So that's kind of our basis for friendship, those things. So today we are going to look at the marks of friendship and the threats to friendship. So basically, what are some things that can make friendships really great that are outlined in the Bible? And what are some things that can make friendships really hard that are in the Bible? Um, so let me pray for us and then we can jump in. Um, dear Jesus, thank you so much for the day. Lord, thank you that you have given us your word and there's so much wisdom in it if we look for it. Um, Lord, thank you for being the ultimate friend and giving us so many examples of what that looks like um, in your word. And just going to pray. Amen. Okay, so real quick, if y'all are note takers like I am, I'm going to give you a quick outline so you know where we're going. Um, you got four marks of friendship. Number one is constancy. I'll spell them for you. C-O-N-S-T-A-N-C-Y. Constancy. Number two, you've got candor. That's C-A-N-D-O-R. Um, third, you've got carefulness. C-A-R-E-F-U-L-N-E-S-S. And then fourth, you've got counsel. C-O-U-N-S-E-L. Um, yeah, so before we get started, Tim Keller, we talked about him earlier in his definition. This is literally all from Tim Keller. This is not mine. Um, it's also talked about in this book that I told you all yesterday, The Company We Keep by Jonathan Holmes. He takes the same four from Keller and expands about them. Um, 
Yeah, and so I think, you know, I told y'all yesterday, if I only told y'all what I thought, you need to leave. Um, I've got to give y'all what the Bible tells you because that's our ultimate source of truth. So today, a lot of our scripture is coming from Proverbs. It's referred to as the wisdom literature. The reason why is because there's a lot of wisdom in the Proverbs. Um, so jumping in, first one, constancy. So constancy means to be faithful, dependable. That's where we get words like consistent, constant, come from that same root word. Um, Proverbs 20, verse 6. This is the NLT version because I think it says it better. But it says, Many will say they are loyal friends, but who can find one who is truly reliable? And then Proverbs 18, 24. It says, A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. So we'll camp out on that one for a second, that 18-24. So at this point, family is everything, right? Like, we probably have a different view of family than they would have when Proverbs was written. Um, how many of y'all have siblings? Okay, great. So I've got two siblings. I'm the youngest of three. Um, and when we were younger, we would fight a good bit. It's like normal sibling um, bickering and disagreements. And... One of the things my mom always told us was you don't have to like each other, but you have to love each other because you're family. Um, and that whole idea of like your family is like your built-in community, right? Like they are supposed to be there for you in the good times and the bad um, because of the family bond. They don't have to like you, but they have to show up for you in some ways. But what this verse is saying is like, but there's a friend who can sit closer than a brother. So this whole idea of family kind of has to be there for you. Friends do not. And so when you've got people who are best friends, like they don't have to be there. Like, they are choosing to love you and they like you. So that's kind of a kind of distinction. Um, so I think that can beg the question for us, like are we faithful and dependable friends? Um, do we stick with our friends when things can get awkward, it can get weird? Um, can they count on us to show up? Um, I think in, in middle school, right, like social things can make friendships weird. Um, whether like your friend, friend groups kind of split apart. Um, maybe some of you made one team, maybe some of you didn't. And so the friendships can kind of shift a little bit. Um, are we friends that stick with our friends or are we friends that are kind of just go with the flow and kind of shift around? It's questions to ask ourselves. Um, and I think too, a part of this idea of constancy is we don't let things um, like get awkward and fall, fall by the wayside. Like I had a friend, we were in seventh grade and our parents um, got a divorce and it was a time where like probably not a lot of people knew about it and I think it was just like really uncomfortable understandably so um, but it's like either we can just like kind of move away from that friend because they're being really quiet and not talking a lot or we can just like lean into them and show up for them so just things to think about so that's constancy right like that idea that friendships are called to be faithful and dependable um, number two candor Candor, I don't think I'd ever heard of this word until I was in a seminar like this. You got a question? No. You heard of it? All right, well, you're smarter than I am. Yeah, okay, so candor, 
All candor means is that we are able to speak the truth in love in a way that is for our friends' betterment. Um, will someone read for me Proverbs 27, verse 5 and 6? Back of the room. Yeah, okay, so if you didn't hear that, it says, Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of the enemy. Um, this is kind of backwards, right? Like, I think a lot of times we think that enemies are going to wound us and friends are going to kiss us, but this is saying the opposite. Um, this is one of the trickier marks of friendship, in my opinion. Um, it's harder to do, and it can be really awkward sometimes. But a real friend is somebody who is willing to wound us when it's for our good. Um, it is proof that the friend loves you more than they love the actual friendship. They're willing to risk that friendship for your growth. Right? Like if we go back to the original purpose of friendships, it is to make the kingdom of God known and to sanctify one another like that sandpaper like we're rubbing our rough edges out like this is part of that right like being able to tell someone the truth in love um, that that's a faithful wound to not kiss us from the enemy um, another passage we can look at Proverbs 28 verse 23 it says whoever rebukes a man will afterwards find more favor than he who flatters with his tongue so another way to think about it is it is better to rebuke someone because you'll have more respect for them afterwards um, than he who just like gives you compliments all the time and never tells you anything real. Um, do we have any Harry Potter fans in here? Nice, more than the last class. Okay, so I'm going to set the scene for you. If you know where I'm going with it, just hold yourself. Um, first movie, Harry, Ron, Hermione... They're kind of like three, three Musketeers, best friends. There's another guy, Neville Longbottom, definitely a friend. As the series goes, he gets closer and closer to them. Um, they are about to sneak out, go try to find the Sorcerer's Stone. Um, it is a very dangerous thing to do. It is against the rules. It would get everyone in trouble if they get caught. And so... Being the friend that he is to them and wanting their safety and their betterment, he stands up to them. And so he tries to stop them. He's like, hey, this is a terrible idea. Like, please don't do this. And they say, we're doing it. They end up like freezing him and he falls backwards. And then you fast forward to the end of the movie. Dumbledore, old guy, big beard, head of school, looks at everybody and he says, you know, it takes a great deal of bravery to stand up to your enemies. It's even more brave to stand up to our friends. And he gives them 10 points. And Gryffindor wins the House Cup. Sorry to ruin it. So, that whole idea of like, Neville did what was right. Like, it is hard to stand up to your friends. Because um, it's just your enemies. You don't really care about them as much as your friends. Like, you're not worried if they don't like you afterwards. But like our friends, we want to please them. Um, but sometimes telling them the truth is better than to flatter them with our tongue, as Proverbs says. Um, you can think about it too, like, y'all, we are setting our friends up for disaster if we don't tell them the truth. Um, like, if I was up here 
and I had something on my tooth and no one told me. Y'all would all be distracted the whole time by like something on my tooth. Um, so it would be in my benefit and all of yours for someone to tell me that. Right? Like that might be kind of a weird thing to say, especially if you don't know me. But like that is for my betterment. Another way to think about this is you'll all learn how to read and write probably in elementary school or if you're really smart probably before that. Um, I was a terrible speller in elementary school so I constantly got counted off for misspelling things. Like you think of the Chick-fil-A signs, they're all misspelled. That's how I spelled in real life. Um, but so the teacher's whole point there is to make you better, right? Like if I got to 10th grade and couldn't spell anything, that would not be helpful. So what teachers are doing, because they want your success and your betterment in mind, they're going to correct us, right? Like they're going to count off points for spelling mistakes and punctuation mistakes. And it's not because they don't like us. It's because they're trying to help us be better versions of ourselves down the road. Another thing to think about, so I tore this shoulder in high school. I'd have surgery to fix it. Um, and the doctor looked at me and said, hey, if you want to get better, you have to have surgery. Surgery will hurt. Surgery will take months of PT to fix it. But it is the only way to get better. And so, like, at first thought, that's bad news, right? Like, I didn't get to play sports for a semester, which I love to do. And it was very painful. But, like, that is the truth that I needed to hear in order to get better. Um, I had a student that I, I like, like, I mess with him a lot. And I messed with one girl. I, like, said something to her. And she got really embarrassed, and I did not know it. So like a week later, she was like, Rose, you really embarrassed me. And I had no idea. And it was great that she told me because, you know, we were able to reconcile and move forward. Um, but I think a lot of times, like, we're not aware of this aspect of us. Like, we're not always aware of things that we're doing that can be hurtful to people or hurtful to ourselves. So telling them is good. And now, the last thing I'll say about this point, I'm going to re read the verse it says better is open rebuke and hidden love faithful are the wounds of a friend what does that say faithful are the wounds of a friend right like it does not say faithful are the wounds of an acquaintance right like this is not your license to go tell everybody who's ever wronged you um, or anyone who's ever annoyed you like you're a terrible person no this is saying Candor is a part of friendship. And if we are not coming to someone in love and patience, um, it can easily be misunderstood. And we don't want that. So, we've got constancy, right? Like we're faithful friends. We've got candor. We're called to tell people the truth in love. Um, and not just like flatter them with our tongue. I think it's number three, which is carefulness. And this is essentially how do we care for our friends. And this follows up with candor because we know we're supposed to confront them sometimes. But this is kind of the how we confront them. So if you've ever talked to someone or just like been a human, timing can be everything sometimes. It's no different with this. Like there's a time for things and there's a way to say things. There needs to be a trust established. So Proverbs 25, verse 20, 
It says, whoever sings the songs to a heavy heart is like one who takes off a garment on a cold day and like vinegar on soda. So once again, this is saying, singing is a good thing, but if you're doing it to somebody who's got a heavy heart, it's like you're just ripping off their jacket when it's super cold outside. It's not what they need. Um, it's not going to make them feel any better sometimes. So part of being a good friend, right, is caring about them. Like, if they're having a bad day, sometimes you just need to sit there with them and not try to, like, fix it. This is one of my favorites. It says Proverbs 27, verse 14. It says, Whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice rising early in the morning will be counted as a cursing. So once again, singing, good thing, but there can be a wrong time for it. This is saying, like, early in the morning... So a few months back, I was um, babysitting overnight with some students. That seventh grader girl and a ninth grade girl, and like the guest bedroom was directly below the younger ones' bedroom. And at 4 a.m. on Saturday morning, when everyone should be asleep, Billie Eilish starts blaring from the ceiling and wakes me up. Yo, it was terrible. I love Billie Eilish. That was the absolute wrong time to be blaring Billie Eilish. Um, so, it goes back to the point. You take a good thing, you put it in the wrong timing, it turns into a terrible thing. Um, another part of being like the careful friend is being someone they can trust. Um, Proverbs 11, verse 13 says, Whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets. But he who is trustworthy in spirit keeps a thing covered. So that's a question for us, right? Like, are we trustworthy? Are we able to keep secrets? Um, yeah, I think those are important things to think about. I think especially at any age, but especially this age, secrets are almost like um, like a currency, right? Like the more secrets you know, you might feel like better about it and it's very tempting to tell other people's secrets. So like for example, if my best friend has a crush on somebody and I'm in a sleepover with a bunch of girls and my best friend is not there and everybody's talking about crushes, it's like, oh well who does she like? Like I've got two options, right? Like I can tell them who she likes and then everybody'll know and maybe it's like, oh we're so glad you told us. I might get some affirmation or I can just not tell because I'm not supposed to tell, right? So I think a lot of times we can get confronted with like ways to tell secrets. They're not even like purposely being mean. I think we just have to be conscious of are we able to keep secrets? Someone's telling us. And I think too, this also can apply in like prayer groups, like at church kind of things, where if someone is opening up in a prayer group and saying, "Hey, can y'all be praying for this?" That doesn't mean like the whole school needs to know. They probably told you in confidence. So just another side note. All right, so that brings us into number four, which is counsel. So once again, if we think back to our original purpose of friendship, friendships, speaking about the kingdom of God, and we are pushing one another towards Jesus, counsel is no different. So counsel is just referring to advice. Like if you know a lawyer, a lot of times they are providing counsel to their clients. Um, so some things to think about it. How many of y'all have ever been asked to give your friends some advice? Like, hey, what do you think about this? Okay. Yeah, like the older you get, probably the more you'll get asked. And like the more you'll go to your friends for advice about things. 
And so a mark of a biblical friendship is that you become a friend that is giving advice, that is honoring to God, and is going to ultimately like point your friend to Jesus. And so we can look at Proverbs 17, no, Proverbs 27, verse 17. That's your classic, iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. So right, like we are called to sharpen one another. Um, or in the sandpaper analogy, we're called to like smooth one another out. Proverbs 27, verse 9 says, Oil and perfume make a heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Right, so like the sweetness of someone comes from their ability to give counsel. And I think about too, like, do we give advice that is honoring to God, or are we encouraging our friends to partake in sinful behavior? I think it's easy to think about things like, are we encouraging our friends to drink? Are we encouraging our friends to duel? I don't know if dueling has hit where y'all are. It's a massive thing in Jackson right now. Um, are we encouraging our friends to like sneak out, or lie to our parents, or cheat on homework? All very simple things we don't really think about a lot of times. But like, if we're saying we're Christians, like encouraging those things is not going to help anybody. It's really going to harm them. Um, we want to encourage our friends to be better versions of themselves. We want them to look more and more like Jesus over time. Because, right, like if they're our best friends, we want the best for them. We don't want what's going to be harmful for them. So, that's kind of the four marks of friendships, right? Like, you've got constancy, you've got candor, you've got carefulness, you've got counsel. There's good news and bad news with these. So, bad news, we're not going to keep any of these perfectly. Um, we're going to mess up. We're going to give bad advice. We are not going to show up when we need to show up for our friends. We are going to say things at the wrong time and make situations even worse. Um, and sometimes we're just selfish and we're going to... Um, Pick to be with other friends we might need to be with somebody that's like hurting. But that's bad news. Good news, there actually is somebody that's done all these things perfectly well. His name is Jesus. Um, and he wants to be your best friend in a lot of ways. And so if he is not your friend, that's an invitation this week to talk to somebody um, and ask him to be your best friend. So, if we have the marks of friendship, those four things, right, that you want to be doing as a friend, but you also want to be on the receiving end of those things, like, we need to be able to take criticism in love. We need to be able to ask our friends for advice on things. Um, but, there are also some threats to biblical friendship, right? Like, things that are going to get in the way of us having strong biblical friendships. So once again, note takers, you got three little side points. One is our own sin gets in the way of things. Two, we can misunderstand the gospel that can get in the way of things. And then three, false expectations can get in the way of real friendship. You know, Jesus tells us that following Him is going to be harder and messier than going the way of the world. And so friendship is no ex- exception to that. <coughs> Sorry. So, number one, our own sin. So we think about friendship, right? You've got two people who are sinners who both 
have mess they are bringing into one relationship, our sin's going to get in the way of a lot of things. I think a lot of times this comes out in we're selfish and we think life is about us and everything should go like the way that I want it to go. And that is not helpful for friendships. I can make things super messy. Um, you can just get in the way of genuine friendships. Think of things like gossip or getting angry because you don't have a lot of patience or lying. These things can all just tear down friendship. Because it's like trust, right? I think the riddle is what's the easiest thing to break and the hardest thing to get back. It's trust. And so, like, broken trust can hurt friendships a lot. And so we've got to have a desire to become trustworthy friends and to be a safe person. There's an RBF minister, a guy named Roe Taylor. He gives this quote of what a safe person is. He says, A safe person means we are deeply aware of our sinful state and how bad we are, which makes us no better than someone else. We realize we need Jesus just as much as our friend. So that can just boil down to y'all, like, we're not judgmental. We're not someone that condemns because we understand that we are sinful and we have been forgiven. So therefore, we cannot hold anybody else at bay because we're no better than they are. So I think, you know, part of this whole idea of our sin is we have to understand our own sin or else it's going to get in the way of our friendships. Um, Another way this can come off is when we're talking about friends that get on our nerves, a lot of times the conversation can go like this. It'll say, oh, they're so annoying. Or like, oh, they just like don't get me. That is making it always about the other person. Right? That's blame shifting. It is their fault. They, look at me. they are being annoying. But how often are we looking at ourselves to look for the problem? Like how often do we say, this friendship is hard because... I'm not patient. I'm not quick to forgive. I talk too much. I can be self-centered. So we got to think about like how is our own sin affecting our friendships? We have to be able to admit that we have flaws. And once again, right, like the more time we take to see our flaws, the more that is going to show us our need of Jesus. And hopefully we run to Jesus as we see our need of Him. Um... Yeah, because it's so easy to play the blame game, right? Like, it's their fault. They're the reason why this is hard. I mean, Adam and Eve played the blame game in the Garden of Eden. In the very beginning, God says, Who gave you this apple? Or why'd you eat it? And Adam says, The woman gave it to me. The woman that you made. So he is blamed. Eve and God. He doesn't take it and say, Oh, I ate it. Um, so the blame game, nothing new. But just watch out for it. It'll get you. So, number two. Our misunderstanding of the gospel. So, biblical friendship is based off of the gospel, right? And like how we are pushing one another towards Jesus. So we have got to understand the gospel. As part of this is A, understanding our own sin like we just talked about. But B, we have to understand like how the gospel works within us. Like a lot of times in friendships it requires you to be open and honest a lot of times we don't want to be open and honest because I think a lot of times we fear we will be met with rejection whether it's the narrative of I'm too bad if they really knew me they wouldn't want to be my friend fill in the blank so a lot of those things 
Like we don't get the gospel, right? Like the gospel tells us, I am no longer defined by my sin, I'm defined by Jesus' righteousness. So once we understand that we are not named by our sin, we become open and honest and are able to share what's actually going on with us because we know we're not defined by it. Um, yeah, and so I think you'll see too, like the more you're willing to admit some open sin and open struggles, the more people will also tell you theirs. And once again, that kind of goes back to the whole C.S. Lewis thing, like, what, you two? I thought I was the only one. So it might be something like, I really struggle to obey my parents. Somebody might say, oh yeah, me too. Friendship. Um, so, yeah, so part of the threat is like that we think like we can't let anybody in and that's never going to get us friends, right? Like, if we don't ever let anybody in, we're closing ourselves off to the possibility of friendship. So I'd encourage you to fight against that and truly rest in who Jesus is and what He says about you. Um, yeah, and if you think about it yesterday, we used the example of the greatest showman and how they were friends with a common denominator. They were kind of all these oddities and so-called freaks and their goal that they were putting on this great show and they became friends through that goal. They understood like that they were people. Right? Like they were no longer defined by the bearded lady or the guy that has all these tattoos. Um, like they were people and they kind of realized that that people started to see them as people over time and like they paid to see them. So yeah, so that's just going back to it. And I think too, an example of this would be like, so I lead a small group right now of senior girls. And over the past two years, they have grown enormously. Like you could not pick more opposite people, like different schools, different interests, just everything totally opposite. But over time, they have started to let their walls down. They're able to be honest and open with things that they're struggling with. And what, what we're finding is like, Everybody struggles with the same things. Like you might think you have nothing in common with someone who is in your church group, but I bet if you push through, you might find something in common with some of that is understanding how the gospel works. Um, so that is misunderstanding the gospel. Right? Like we have to understand who we are in Jesus, and that frees us up to show who we really are. So then the third one, false expectations. This one is tricky too because like all week we're talking about friendship and like how do we get it and we're praying for it and we really want it and we're like trying to go out and we're trying to meet new people and we're trying to let our walls down. But if you have false expectations about friendships, like you would just end up getting disappointed and probably bitter. Um, and what I'm talking about specifically on this one is you cannot expect to have just tons of deep biblical friendships. And we know that, like, if we look at the life of Jesus, right? Like, we gotta look at the, what the Bible says. So, Jesus constantly surrounded by crowds, right? Like, at one point, he's gotta go off and pray by himself. He's gotta get in a boat to escape the crowds. Like, there are always just tons of people around him. But how many friends does he actually have? How many? Okay, so he's got 12 disciples, right? And the Bible says. But then there were three within that. Like, so you've got 12 that he's around a very good chunk of his time. 
But then within that, he's even got three that he's even closer with, Peter, James, and John. So, I think we're looking at the life of Jesus. He has friends, but he's not best friends with every single person he meets. Because, right, like if we're talking about all these things that biblical friendships have, can you imagine having to do this with every single person that like you follow on Instagram? That would be exhausting. Um... And so, yeah, and so I think too, like, <clears throat> think of if you had three best friends and you were constantly talking to them, like, you know everything about them, you know the code to get into their house, you know all their family members, and you know, like, what they're doing on vacation. If you had to keep up with that much information about, like, 20 people, you'd be exhausted. There's honestly not the time of the day between, like, school, extracurricular activities, family stuff. You literally just like don't have the time to foster true, deep friendships with tons of people. So I say that so that you don't get disappointed, so you don't walk out of here and say, well, I've been praying for friends and I've only got three of them. I want 30. You don't want 30. Stick with three. Um, and I think too, with all these things, I think we have these false expectations of like what friends are going to give to us. Right? Like, we just looked at the marks of friendship. Like, we probably think that our best friends are never going to leave us. We think that they're always going to be gentle with their words and they're always going to say things at the right time and they are going to be kind to us and show up when we need them. And if we expect that, we'll be sorely disappointed when they fail at that. Um, so that kind of goes back to we have to be aware that even our best friends are sinful and that we are sinful and that we are going to disappoint people. We will be disappointed. We've got to be quick to forgive and quick to ask for forgiveness because we're going to need it. Um, yeah, like you think about Jesus' very best friends. Like, best friends, what did they do? They literally sold him. Like, they sold him out. They denied him. They, um, they doubted him. They literally left him to die on the cross alone. Like, there were zero people there at the cross. Um, those are people that Jesus is saying were his best friends and like he knew that and he still loved them then that's for us to think about of like we will be disappointed we need to expect that um, and be ready to show some grace because we have been shown grace Um, yeah so and once again, like, right, good news, bad news. Bad news is we're going to do all of these things. Like, our sin will get in the way of friendships. We will be selfish. We will misunderstand the gospel and expect perfection out of somebody. Um, but the good news is that Jesus doesn't, right? Like, He is not sinful. He's perfect. He doesn't misunderstand the gospel. He doesn't expect out of us what we cannot give Him. And so we've got to be ready to do that. Um, I think too, like, yeah, we've got to know that our friends are going to do these things, but like, we also are the perpetrators of these things. And so I think this is a good time, even this week, to look at your friendships and say, hey, where have I been selfish? You know, do I actually understand them? Or am I making assumptions about what's going on with them? So yeah. And so that just kind of points to our need of Jesus, right? Like, if we're not perfect, we have to go 
to Jesus, and none of us are perfect, so therefore we all have to go to Jesus. Um, he never runs out of patience with us. He is never self-centered. And I just love the thought that like he never falls asleep on us. Like how many of y'all have ever had a conversation with someone and you're it's like just getting really deep and then just like radio silence. You're like, they fell asleep. They fell asleep in the middle of this conversation we're trying to have. And that can be really frustrating, right? It's like, I needed you right now. Y'all, Jesus is never asleep. He doesn't need sleep. That's awesome. Um so yeah, so that is our marks of a friendship, threats of a friendship, what can be helpful for friendships, and what will get in the way and hurt friendships. Do y'all have any questions? Alright, let me pray for us, and i get you out of here a few minutes early for lunch. Alright, dear Jesus, we just thank you so much for this time, um, Lord, that we can look and see how you have wanted friendships to work well, and things you have warned us of that will tear them down. Um, Lord, thank you that you are perfect and, Lord, that you have no sin and that you want the best for us, Lord, and that you're constantly calling us to our to yourself by pointing out our flaws. And we just thank you for this day and we hope for safety for the rest of the week. Just pray. Amen.